You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we come uh, to you, uh, we long to hear your voice and we pray that your word uh, would do its work upon us in a way uh, that brings us into uh, relationship with you or for those of us who know you into a deeper relationship with you. And Lord, uh, keep us uh, from hardening our hearts in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at Exodus 5 through 11. Uh, and what I really want us to zone in on, because uh, there's a lot of other things going on, which I may allude to, uh, but what we see, especially in chapters 5 through 11, are the effect of God's word on people's hearts. And there are two very different responses to God's word outlined in chapters 5 through 11. Uh, the first person that we're uh, probably going to tackle is, uh, well, I am going to do it this order, is Pharaoh. Uh, because if you read ahead or if you've ever read Exodus, what's the little phrase that you hear time and time again about Pharaoh's heart? It was hardened. So every time Moses comes to Pharaoh, what is Moses saying to him? It's from who? God. The word of the Lord came to Moses and Moses went and uh, God even says uh, that, well, you will be like God to Pharaoh and Aaron will be like the prophet. And so as far as that's God's words, as far as God is concerned, Moses is speaking the words of God, his own words. And uh, so when, Mo when Pharaoh hears what Moses is saying, it's not from the book of second opinion. Uh, which is uh, our family's favorite Bible uh, book. Uh, and, uh, but it's actually God's word. And Pharaoh's uh, response is a hardened heart. And so we're going to go through and we're going to look at, at Pharaoh. But with Moses, now heretofore, what has Moses' com Moses's conversations been like with God? How have they basically gone? God tells Moses to do something, and then Moses does what? I can't. I don't know how to do that. They're not going to listen to me. Who should I say? All, the, you know, all of these excuses uh, he has as to why he's not the right person and why the mission is going to fail. But what you're going to see in chapters 5 through 11 is that as the word of God comes to Moses, what happens to Moses? a softening of his heart, a receptivity of God's word, a growing in relationship and a faithfulness that wasn't there before we got to the plagues. So it's a pretty remarkable thing. And the word that God is giving to Moses is the same word that God is giving to Pharaoh, but two very different responses and two very different results. So let's look at uh, chapter 5 through 11, and we're going to whisk our way through. And if you want to ask a question along the way, you're always uh, most welcome. So Moses is able to get the people of Israel to go away for a weekend retreat, right? They're out in the wilderness, and they're, uh, they're, they're having uh, worship, and then they go back. And Pharaoh sees this as an opportunity to really get the Israelites, 
And uh, there are many reasons why he might do this. One, to punish the Israelites, who we already know are great in number and growing strength. And with Moses and Aaron now on the scene, this is difficult. This is going to prove difficult. This is going to be a difficult moment. Uh, so I need to subdue uh, the Israelites even further than I already have. Uh, also, you know, there's a, there's a part of Pharaoh that is probably trying to incite violence from the Israelites so that he has an excuse to come down on them very hard. So that was actually one of the things that happened uh, this weekend commemorating this, the march from Selma to Montgomery. One of the things that the police officers and the state troopers were trying to do was to provoke the marchers to violence so that they would have cause to, to beat them into submission. Uh, and so in the back of Pharaoh's mind, he's probably thinking, you know, this is a win-win for me. Uh, so what's the thing that he does in chapter 5? He says, I want the same amount of bricks that the Israelites are meant to produce. Here's your quota. But I'm no longer going to provide them straw, which is very clever because most of the time when we say making bricks without straw, in our mind, we think that there was no straw. And they just, but actually what Pharaoh says is, no, 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 you have to make bricks I'm just not going to provide the straw, which means what? They have to find it. And so we hear in chapter 5 that they're looking all over Egypt for stubble. That's the word that's used. Just anything to try to bind the bricks together. There's a member of staff who's really dynamite, uh, but clearly uh, didn't learn any handyman work. And he was talking to me about how he was going to pour this concrete slab in in his backyard and he started to explain to me how he was going to do it which is he was going to dig it up and then he was going to pour the concrete and i said that is the worst idea i've ever heard uh, because you know you have to frame it you have to frame it you have to put a base in normally stone of some kind uh, but the real secret to it and a lot of people forget this uh, that don't know what they're doing, but you have to have a bonding agent within the concrete, don't you? Whether that's rebar or, or some sort of uh, metal, uh, you know, almost looks like chicken wire uh, that goes, what's the word for that? Great, thank you. Uh, to put that down in order to hold the cement together. You've got to have that. And that's really the function of the straw within the bricks. And so if they were to make bricks in the same way that this unmentioned uh, individual would pour this concrete slab, what would happen with the bricks? They'd fall apart. They'd crumble. And, and it's one thing for my friend to look out on his backyard and see all these cracks and bits and pieces of cement that now litter his yard. And, and I can only imagine the damage that would do to his marriage. But... It's a whole other thing for the Israelites to make bricks and then a house falls in and kills an entire family. And who's responsible for that? The Israelites. The Israelites are responsible for that. So Pharaoh is really smart. He knows what he's doing. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. This is verse 13. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh taskmasters had sent over, set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks? And yesterday is in the past. Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh. Now this is probably the first mistake, because who has set these Israelites over the Israelite slaves? 
Pharaoh. Don't tick off middle management. Right? So this is, this is politically a bad move. Because then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. Which is rather, all of a sudden, the rebellious heart is beginning to emerge in the people of Israel. And they're beginning to say, this something's not right about. There's an injustice. It hasn't quite moved to the religious conviction, but there's an injustice happening here. But what did Pharaoh say in verse 17? You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. So Pharaoh was again turning it on the Israelites. And why is he saying, he says it twice, you are idle. You are at one. His word is everything. I mean, have y'all ever been in a situation where you're powerless? Like, that, that you are at the will and whim of whoever it is that's in... You ever been pulled over? <laughs> you ever stood before a judge? Um, and even if, you know, and, and in this case, it's a, a case of righteousness. Like, wait a minute, this is un. Fair. I mean, this gets in me. This, uh, there's a feeling in the pit of my stomach of this is just wrong. And not only does he blame it on their idleness, he blames it on their religion. Well, y'all went off in the wilderness and had yourselves a little bit of a retreat. And actually, all that's done is make you lazy. It's not that I'm not giving you straw. It's just you're lazy. And your religion has made you lazy. You shall by no means... Reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. Well, finally, they meet Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. They wanted to know what happened. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Just when, you know, Moses and Aaron probably elbowing one another out in front of the palace saying, this is where they come to us. This is where they say you have to help us. But what do the foremen say? This is your fault. You should have stayed in Midian. You should have just left us alone. We're in this mess because of you. Then what did Moses do? He turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. That is a really immature prayer spiritually. Now, we've all prayed it, right? But what is that kind of prayer a result of? A lack of faith, right, faith. A lack of faith. God, you're really not in control. And now you've got me into this thing, and I'm in this mess, and, and uh, Lord, you got me into this. You need to get me out. It's a pretty selfish prayer that you're going to continually hear when they get out into the wilderness. But notice how Moses goes from this prayer into the other prayer. But thus far, we're sticking with Pharaoh. But I just want to put that down as a marker of, of Moses's spiritual immaturity in this moment. He's still learning what it means to be a faithful follower of the living God. And what does God say to Moses? You're fired. No, he doesn't say that. He says, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. What is God promising to do? Rescue his people. And that's what he can. And how many times is he, he's just going to continue hammering away at this? Moses, did I not tell you? Now, we constantly have to be reminded of God's word and God's promises to us. Now, we are a little bit like the man who, uh, who, lead, who sees the reflection in the mirror, as the New Testament tells us, and walks away and forgets what we look like. Right? We have to constantly be reminded. And in the same way, if we just read one little Bible passage once and then walk away from it, no, we, we have to constantly be going back to it, which is one of the reasons why I will often uh, write a Bible verse on a sticky note or an index card and put it on my refrigerator or put it on my bathroom sink. Why? I need to be reminded. And haven't you ever done that where you've, you've, you're going through a crisis or you're struggling with something and you open up the Bible and you read something that you've read before, maybe even a thousand times, and all of a sudden you say to yourself, oh God, I've forgotten. I've forgotten. And the, and the word just speaks directly into your situation. And so that's what God is doing here with Moses. But again, we're talking more about uh, the work that Pharaoh is doing on uh, the work that God is doing on Pharaoh's heart. Verse 10 in chapter 6. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Now we we'll use that phrase again. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about the king of Egypt to bring the people of it. He just did that. And then he did it again. And then we're going to skip the genealogy. But, but Moses is reminded of where he's come from, meaning of God's faithfulness. You know, we always skip over genealogies, but it's actually really great to stop at a genealogy. There's a reason why they're in there. And it really is a testimony to God sustaining you. Like you didn't just get plopped down here on earth. There a lot that had to happen for you to get here. And God orchestrated all of that, especially when you look at the genealogy of Jesus. And you start looking in there and you'll start to notice in, in Jesus' lineage some pretty unsavory characters from the Old Testament. Meaning what? God will go to great lengths to bring about his plans and his purposes in the life of his people. And so that's what he's doing here. But Moses says again, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. I'm of unfaithful lips, uncapable lips. I'm not worthy. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And that's when he tells us, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And you shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Well, this is terrible. Like, I mean, what, you know, in my prayer life, what if I got a word from the Lord saying, Andrew, I want you to tell the people of the Advent faithfully what I am telling you in my word, but they're not going to listen to a word you have to say, but do it anyway. Well, that is kind of what happens. Anyway, 
But ultimately, I'm going to bring about my plans and purposes. Uh, one, you don't know the seeds that you're sowing. You know, the, the characters that I often think about in the Bible are the people on the periphery that maybe not even mentioned, because when Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, they're not the only ones listening, right? There are other people there listening in. And, and I wonder the effect of, of, those, of the word on those people. You know, whether back in the barracks or, or in the down wherever they're working, they say, you know, what do you think about all this stuff that, that these Hebrews are saying? You know, actually talking about the word. So never underestimate when you sow the seeds of the gospel where they land and whether or not they may take fruition. But we, what we do know is that as Pharaoh receives God's word, his heart is hardened. Now, uh, <clears throat> the first thing that he does, and it's not much of a miracle, is that Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and he says, prove yourself. This is still in chapter 7, verse 10. Throw the staff down that it may become a serpent. And so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down the staff of Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Now, what did Pharaoh's servants do? Same thing. And what happened? Turned to serpents. But then what happened? Verse 12, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So what's happening is the word of the Lord is coming to Pharaoh, and God is demonstrating his authority and power to pronounce that word by signs. But you notice that Pharaoh's servants are able to do those signs as well. And we'll see this for a few more. In some ways, there's actually a joke in, in Exodus that is very funny. Um, <clears throat> but when the servants of Pharaoh are able to perform the same miracle, that allows Pharaoh's heart to still stand at a distance and say, I can match this God. God has an equal and that's the false god or gods that I serve because my servants can do the same thing. Now, as a footnote, I want to say this too. These are more than just parlor tricks. Okay, these are more than just parlor because we're going to see that. Because we're going to see Pharaoh's servants be able to do things like turn water to blood. How is it they're able to do that? One... There are a couple explanations. One, God could give an allowance and allow Pharaoh's servants to do it, to actually uh, give them uh, the power to, to do those things uh, in order to use them to obtain his ultimate goal. Uh, it may also be that this is uh, a power uh, that is given by the prince of this world, uh, by the prince of the air, Satan himself. Uh, but what we're going to see is that their ability to perform these miracles comes to a pretty quick end. And they're left without any response to what God is doing through Moses and Aaron. And so the first plague that we come to is the water turned to blood, which is uh, what God promised. And we talked about earlier on that the very life of Egypt, which is found in the Nile, becomes death to them. Because as they turned the Nile into blood, what does that mean? Everything dies. Everything dies. Everything dies. Verse 21. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank. 
so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Verse 22, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. What's the next plague? The frogs. Now, this is where the funny joke is. So Moses says, the Lord says to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools, and make the frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Well, with friends like those, who needs enemies? I mean, do you see what's happening is that Moses and Aaron have caused, you know, by God's will to cause a, a plague of frogs. And what, is, what do Pharaoh's men do? They increase the number of frogs. It's, it's ridiculous. It's mindless. Right? They actually aren't thinking clearly because if they had any power, what would they do? Reduce the number of frogs. But when you're spiritually blind, you actually cannot see a thing for what it is, nor can you even see the plight of your neighbor. So Pharaoh has no concern. Even that didn't change his heart when he saw that it was that his people were were in a, had no water to drink for almost for a week. It didn't bother him. He went back in. And so when the magicians added the frogs they were more concerned with power and being right than they were actually caring for the citizens that had been entrusted to them. And so they increased the number of frogs. But Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh uh, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and pleaded with the Lord to get rid of the frogs. And the frogs died out and they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank, no doubt. Uh, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord has said. I mean, isn't that just like us? Where you, and, and Pharaoh is, is, his heart is hardened, but there's still a little part of him that says, man, I wish these frogs were gone. And then God actually does it. And then he goes about acting as if God didn't do anything. I mean, this is my family's famous prayer. We, uh, my grandfather did this all the time, and we've continued it. We always pull into a parking lot looking for a dear Lord good spot. And, and uh, it's borderline superstitious, but we pull in the parking lot and we say, Dear Lord, give us a good spot. And I can remember, my, I was a little boy, and I can remember my grandfather pulling in the parking lot of a, of a store, and, uh, and he said, Dear Lord, and at that moment, a car pulled out of like the front pole position spot, and my grandfather said, Never mind. And, and he pulled in. Well, that's what's happening with Pharaoh here. Right? Looking for any other explanation rather than God actually is in control. And that is a sign that your heart is being hardened. You actually forget God and what he's done. In our lives, God has brought each and every single one of us through a very difficult moment, a trial, 
But isn't it true that we get to another trial or moment and it's as if we've completely forgotten that God brought us through that one and we begin to wonder, can God actually bring us through the next one? That's a sign of a hardening heart. We need to be aware of that. And then the next plague, the gnats. Um, all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt's, Egypt. But look at this. Verse 18 in chapter 8. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So they were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So all of a sudden now, the magicians, God has their attention. This is the hand of God. This is the finger of God. This is God working. But Moses won't, I mean, Pharaoh won't hear it. And so the Lord said to Moses again, Instead of gnats, he goes to Pharaoh and says, Let my people go, that they may serve me, or else I will not let my people go. Behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. It was like last summer. Did y'all see how many flies we had? It was terrible. This is much worse. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. I mean, we're getting to Indiana Jones level at this point. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. Again, this is a remind, and, and he's speaking all of this to Pharaoh. Like he's telling Pharaoh, you know, if I were being political, I don't think I would tell Pharaoh where I was going or what the plan was. But because God is in control, God says, no, 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 we're going to tell him everything. I'm going to get detailed about what I'm going to do so that Pharaoh will see that I am who I am. And the Lord did so. And there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. But Mo all of a sudden, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said to them, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. Oh, progress, right? This is progress. You no longer have to go out into the wilderness to do that. No, I'm now allowing religious liberty. I'm going to allow you to worship in the way that your God says that you ought to worship within the land of Egypt. I might even get a couple votes from the Hebrews when the election comes along. But Moses says what? It would not be right to do so. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? Now Moses is, is educating Pharaoh on the actual cultural lay of, of the land, knowing that, you know, Pharaoh, actually, maybe I'm not just educating you. Maybe you knew this. <laughs> maybe you knew that if we went and did this, so it might be first received as some sort of wonderful uh, concession to us. Uh, <clears throat> but in fact... Um, in fact, you know what's going on, but no, no, Moses, I mean, Pharaoh in verse 28 says, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. What's Pharaoh asking Moses to do? Pray for him. Intercede for me. 
mean, it's a scary moment. And in fact, this is a real pivotal moment. And you can go read the, the letter to the Hebrews. That, this is really what Hebrews is about. Is that the moment that you know that your heart is hardened, that's, you've got to catch it. You, you, you've, you've got to catch it. Um, because there is a point at which it's too late. So if you've ever poured concrete, you know, there are stages, right? Concrete, when you first pour it, is soupy. And then after a while, you can actually imprint it. You can, you can ever walk along the sidewalk and see dog paws or something like that or, or people's initials. You know, that's the way our heart is supposed to be, that stage of concrete. But once it's fully hardened, there's no altering it. It's set. And the human heart is the same way. And so Pharaoh is at this very precarious place of, of his heart beginning to set. And yet he'll have none of it. He'll have none of it. So the flies uh, were removed. Not one remained. Verse 32 in chapter 8. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Well, moving on, we have the livestock. Same th kind of things happened, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he what? Did not let the people go. And then the boils. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. He's simply not listening. And then uh, the hail. And we're just going to keep moving because we need to get past the locusts. And, uh, and then finally, uh, the plague of darkness. Um, and I want to stop there because this is actually a pretty pivotal scene. The darkness. This is kind of the place where, um, where um, Pharaoh doesn't know that he's speaking truth, but he's actually being prophetic. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is verse 21, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. You ever felt darkness? You know what that means? Remember when you were a kid and it was dark? And just the feeling of terror, if you have, I, had to, I remember the times that I would play out too late and I knew I wasn't supposed to do it and I'd have to cut through the woods to get home. That's terrible. That's felt darkness, just terror. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was a pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones may also go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. Sounds like a pretty good deal. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take care of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. That's pretty ominous. 
I mean, this is a pretty intense uh, scene here uh, before before Pharaoh. So just as it seems like Pharaoh's heart may be opening up a bit, what happens? It, it, it goes shut again. And then finally, there's this final plague that is threatened. And what is this final plague? Right. It's the final uh, <clears throat> taking of the firstborn. I'll read this for you. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people what th that they ask, every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. How about that? Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Maybe we can just coexist. So Moses said, Thus said the Lord, says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is left behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your ser servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. The hardening of the heart. Same word comes to Moses as comes to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh just will not receive God's word. It just won't happen. But what have we noticed about Moses? Where did Moses from chapter 5 and 6 go? Anytime God says, go and say this, what does he do? He does it. He does it. He, he acts in faith, right? And if you want to break down faith as a word, trust, rely, depend. Right? That's what it means to have faith in something. He's learning to trust and rely and depend upon the Lord. And yes, you have all of these signs, but it's not because of the signs that Moses is trusting in the Lord. It's because he's beginning to know who God is. He's in a relationship with God. He knows him and he talks with him. And, and even Moses is beginning to know the mind of God. So that little interchange where he said, well, you can sacrifice in our land, no problem. And Moses comes back and says, no, 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 that's not going to work. And now Moses is actually leaving with red hot anger. And anytime it seems like, well, maybe we can have a deal out of this. Maybe, you know, when they said, hey, all of you can go, but you've got to leave the livestock here. What does Moses say? Not a hoof to be left behind. We're taking it all. And so with the same word, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And with the same word, Moses' heart, Moses's heart is softened. And all of a sudden, the very imprint of God, the words of God, the marks of God 
begin to be begin to be displayed in the life of Moses as he prepares to lead them out of Egypt. Well, this is a lot of food for thought, um, and there's a lot that I didn't say, um, so I'll open it up for any questions, comments, or concerns. Yeah, Clark. And we read on several occasions where the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. Right. Not that Pharaoh did, but the Lord hardens his heart. Right. Yeah, that's the obvious one. You want me to explain that? Um, yeah. So I'm just flipping to Hebrews. Um, I mean, this is one of the things, this is an antinomy, which is almost two conflicting truths that the Bible holds together. Now, I'm not talking about Bible contradictions or trying to find errors in the Bible. I'm talking about, on the one hand, our own personal responsibility to respond to God's word, but also the working of the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit to open our hearts to that word. So there's no, um, you know, when we get to the judgment seat, um, there's no, uh, I blame God for this, right? This is all, this is all God's fault. It's sort of like that great New Yorker cartoon where um, the football guy is being interviewed and, uh, and he say, well, I just want to blame God for our loss today, um, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, is it possible that God willed the team to lose? Yes, but there's a personal responsibility on the part of the team, right, to, to, to do the best they can do uh, to win. In the same way, spiritually, uh, we're left without excuse. And we see examples in the, uh, elsewhere, not just Pharaoh. So Esau gets a lot of airtime in, um, in Hebrews. And um, there's a scary little... Uh, so in Hebrews chapter 12... There's a very scary, uh, I'm pretty sure it's in chapter 12, scary um, little passage that I can't find right now. But basically it says um, Esau was, uh, was given no room for repentance. That his heart was so hardened that there was no longer any room for him to repent. Judas would be another example of this. That what did Jesus say? It would have been better if he had never been born. So um, those two things are, are pretty striking. But the thing about it is, is I don't want us to assume either that the disposition of the human heart is spiritually neutral. Like it could go either way. If we just have all the right information will go the right way. If that were true, I would be able to argue people into Christianity. Have y'all ever been able to argue anybody into faith? No. And yet we're called to give a reason for the hope that is within us. We're called to pour out God's word and to share God's word uh, with people. But actually the disposition of the human heart is what? Rebellion. Away from God. So Pharaoh is just the natural man. He's every single one of us until God intervenes in our lives and opens up our eyes to see we're going in the wrong direction. And therefore, we need, it's a big R word in the Bible, repentance, right? Repent. We repent, which means to turn in, in the right direction, and we seek the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's only because the blinders have been removed from our eyes. And so Pharaoh, in his sin 
is responsible for his actions. Right? On the judgment day, nobody gets away with anything. You know, no one is going to say at the judgment seat, well, I'd like to have done better, but you know, it's this whole sin thing. Right? We're responsible for the sin within us. And it's not just our misdeeds. We're actually responsible for our fallenness, which comes through Adam. So even though Adam and Eve are the ones that messed up, we bear the guilt and burden and responsibility that was brought upon us by them. And that might sound like a really unfair deal, but let me tell you, that means that we have totally forgotten who a holy and just God, God is. So I remember listening to uh, R.C. Sproul at a conference one time. Somebody asked the question, if God is so loving and merciful, why didn't he? And I don't even remember the tail end of the question, but R.C. Sproul about had a coronary. And he got up and he said, what is wrong with you? If, if God is loving and merciful, it's something to do with the creation. And he said, no, God is loving and merciful. And the fact that he not only didn't destroy Adam and Eve and thereby all of humanity, but let them go and made them clothes to wear and gave them the ability to procreate. And your question is, if God is so merciful, then why would he be so hard on us? That, that's not seeing God as, God is merciful and God is graceful. But if we have this idea that, that God isn't, well, of course, everything's going to seem unfair, isn't it? Everything's going to seem unjust because we think if God were just and fair, he'd give me what I want. And that's the sinful nature that, that we're fighting against. And I think that that, so that's where Pharaoh is, that even in the midst of hardening Pharaoh's heart to accomplish his ultimate goals, Pharaoh is not some innocent player. He's not a puppet. His heart is still in rebellion against God. Uh, and God's word is, is not, is simply not penetrating. And, and even, I think that the saddest thing is there are glimpses along the way that maybe it is getting in. Like when he looks and he, and he sees his people in distress, when the magicians come to him and say, yeah, this is God. And, and you, you think, well, maybe this is getting in. And, and even he starts to compromise. Okay, you can go, but you can't go. Those aren't, it turns out that those are still not godly decisions. And that's still his sin and his flesh making those decisions. Because he's not fully willing to, to give himself over to what God wants and to walk in obedience. And now that this is called a theodicy, uh, but um, but there's we can talk about this farther. But anyone else have any questions? I have a problem. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> oh yes. Well, we're going to get to that next week, and we're going to see what that looks like, and um, and I'll give you a little teaser. This is sort of what I'm talking about. Every firstborn would have been spared if what? Yes, that's one. But it, because we knew it was going to happen, there is a way that every firstborn could have been spared in Egypt. If they'd been in a house where the blood of the lamb was smeared over the door frame, 
The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. The pizza delivery guy may have made it in if he was in the right place at the right time. And so it's not up to say, oh, God, isn't he just so terrible that he would do that? The offer of forgiveness and mercy and salvation was given to everybody. And of course, when the angel of death came over, he didn't say, who you got in there? You got sinners? You got Egyptians? You got Israelites? You got bad people? You've got good It didn't matter who was in there. They were saved. And so the death was not the result of God's. Um, uh, it, it was a result of, uh, in some way, of God's wrath and anger. But there was an opportunity for rescue. And so the real tragedy is that they failed to respond to God's offer of rescue. And this happens, Noah and the ark. Remember Noah and the ark? Like everybody laughed at Moses. Look at this fool building this big boat. And then it started to rain and the water started to rise. It's a terrifying scene. And remember the people began to, to bang on the boat and to say, let us in. And then the Bible has those frightening words, but the door was shut. There was no room left for repentance. The time had come at an end. They had all that time. If they wanted to get on the boat, they could get on the boat. But they didn't. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we pray, uh, open the eyes of our hearts, open the eyes of our loved ones. When you open the door, let us run in. Uh, when we're offered the opportunity of rescue and salvation, Lord, that you would move our hearts to sprint into the arms of Jesus, to put ourselves under the cover of blood. And so, Lord, we pray that our hearts would not be hardened. And Lord, for those of us whose hearts are being hardened, Lord, that you would break them up. Lord, that you would make them soft so that we might bear your imprint, that you might uh, not just write your law on tablets of stone, but on the fleshy tablets of our hearts, and that we might know you and live. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.